0: is found in James chapter three, verses one to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being named and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? neither can a salt spring produce fresh water.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Neil and Val, for those readings. We're going to be dwelling on the second, in particular, James, as part of our series through that book, so do keep it open as we consider it further. I take the maxim of Socrates, that the unexamined life is hardly worth living, quite seriously. <clears throat> uh, i it to heart, and I examine various parts of life, uh, not all the time, but time, from time to time, frequently, and consider what's going on in those various departments. Things that I'm sure all of us do, like finances and health, but also perhaps less familiar aspects as well, like how I spend my time, who I keep friendships with, uh, habits, likes and dislikes, and so on. This sort of self-examination isn't just a a pagan uh, Greek practice, but also a thoroughly Christian uh, worthwhile approach as well. We're exhorted in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 to examine ourselves. We're told in Romans chapter 14 that we almost give an account at the end of what we've done with our lives. And so it's worth keeping tabs as we live these lives on what we are doing with them, how we will give accounts for them. Now, one of the lists I keep, uh, as well as finances and time and friendships and so on, is embarrassments. Uh, Consider, well, how do my embarrassments teach me about how I'm living life? Sadly, it's one of the longer lists, uh, the things that I uh, am always bringing to mind and thinking, gosh, I hadn't said that, I I wish I hadn't done that. Mostly it's things I've said, uh, things like getting names of people wrong, getting places wrong, sometimes their faces, making silly assumptions, uh, making outlandish statements, perhaps. Those moments when we hope the ground would just open up and swallow us in uh, because it's so embarrassing that we've just said or done that thing. I'm sure you've had that experience as well. It's, it's not just me uh, who has uh, such a uh, series of experiences. The good news at the start of uh, our talk today is that Jesus doesn't just deal with our sins. He deals with our shame as well on the cross. Isaiah 61 promises that your shame will be replaced by a double portion, a double portion of good. The culprits uh, behind all of such embarrassments, uh, spoken embarrassments, uh, and many other sins as well, is, of course, the tongue. The tongue, which we have focused on a huge amounts in the reading. I think it came up four times, uh, six times if you include uh, other references to it. It's not explicitly phrased in that way uh, in today's reading. Big focus for James throughout his book. Uh, and we're not just talking about spoken words when we re- read about the tongue in James. It's also written words as well. Uh, I'm sure he used the tongue as a, a shorthand for words because the written word was much less common then much less availability of paper and parchments and keyboards and typewriters and so on Uh, but now of course a huge amount of our communication is through the medium of type and so when we read tongue we're reading about um, both spoken oral communication but also written communication and goodness how much uh, communication there is online now as well, so you need to think about that when we read what James says about the tongue and its effects. We've already heard a little bit about the tongue in James, so chapter one, it came up uh, three weeks ago, we had that read and preached, uh, and we were told to uh, keep a rein on the tongue, to restrain the tongue. That's one of the two immediate applications of the big principle for the book, which is to do the word not just to look into the mirror intently and then go away and forget what we've seen, not just to sit listening to the word, but instead to act on it, to to act on what we've seen in the mirror of the word, to act uh, on what we hear in church. And one of the two applications directly of that was to rein in the tongue, to restrain the great horse, the great beast of the tongue that can do so much damage uh, alongside caring for widows and orphans. Well, we're coming back to that topic now, a chapter or so later in James, in chapter three, and he's going to go in depth a little bit more on why it's so important to restrain the tongue, because of uh, the great damage it can do. Uh, James tells us that the tongue is dominant, that it is destructive, deadly, and it's defiled as well, it's compromised. Let's look at a few of these in turn. Firstly, the tongue is dominant, it's very strong. Look again at verses two to five. The time is very small, very small, but with big effects. The first impression we have of people often is how they appear, what they're wearing, uh, what makeup they're wearing, perhaps, how they've done their hair, uh, how they comport themselves. But uh, soon after that, we add to our impression, and perhaps our impression is largely replaced by the communication we have with the people, how they speak with and interact with ourselves and others around them. Uh, Do they have the gift of the gab, or are they a bit short on? uh conversation are they charming or are they blunt are they intensely interested in who we are and what we do or a bit disinterested and a bit aloof and detached politicians of course care a huge amounts about looks but perhaps more so even about what they say and how much time is cr- spent on crafting uh, speeches and sound bites how much uh, money invested in speech writers and people who will look after the social media image of politicians and what they say. Of course, a good catchphrase sticks, whether it's in uh, industry or in politics. Here's a few phrases. Uh, See if you work out who they're from. Education, education, education. Tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime. I can only go one way. I've not got a reverse gear. Guess what era I grew up in. Of course, uh, quotations from Tony Blair, I'm sure he'd come up with others from other well-known politicians. The tongue has great effects, just a few small words can set on course the course of lives and the course of nations. It's very small, but it has great boasts, James says as well, it directs the whole body. How do we end up in situations where we find ourselves? So it's often because we've spoken, we've said something, Uh, that's got us into that situation. So how do we end up in a job or a a university course? Well, it's because we've spoken, because we've been to an interview, we've given the explanation, the uh, convincing argument for why we'd be suited for that particular position, and somebody's agreed, and somebody said, yes, okay, come along. And there we go, the whole body has ended up, the entire course of life has ended up in that particular situation, thanks to the tongue. How do we end up living somewhere? Oh, we've made great boasts about the great mortgage that we can gather together to invest in a particular property or the money we can get together for a rent of somewhere. And the tongue, speaking to the estate agent, has landed us living in a particular situation. How have we ended up in a relationship with somebody? Well, it's because we've spoken with them. They've spoken with us. And the tongue has led us uh, into a life with them. The tongue is capable of great things, and we have a couple of pictures of it doing that in our passage. So the horse, uh, the adult horse can weigh up to 300 kilograms, and yet the bit in its mouth directs it less than 1 kilogram. It can be one and a half meters tall when fully grown, but the bit is only about 10 centimeters. But a little tug on that, and the entire course of this enormous animal moves. A thundering pile of bones and flesh that can drive a plow, or run down an enemy on the battlefield, directed by a tiny collection of leather and metal in its mouth. I was wondering what to say next, and uh, verse four gave me the inspiration. <clears throat> or take ships as an example. Okay, so we'll take ships as an example. So the biggest ship ever built was the Sea Wise Giant, a half a kilometer long oil tanker uh, built in the late 70s. Six hundred and forty-six thousand tons when fully loaded. How big was the the rudder, though, that directed the entire ship? Less than two hundred and thirty tons. Tiny by comparison. Half a kilometre long ship. That's uh, as tall as the Sears Tower in Chicago is if laid flat. Uh, Directed by rudder, less than ten metres long. I'm sure. It took a long time to turn an oil tank of that size when fully loaded, but turn it did, as it made many journeys from Arabia to America during its lifetime. At the other end of the spectrum, uh, I was on a little pedalo recently, going around a little bay. Uh, a tiny little project, a tiny little plastic that size, smaller than the size of a hand, stuck into the water. And yet the slightest touch on the rudder of that pedalo, and the whole thing would veer off in completely the wrong direction. Quite difficult to keep track of. Rudders, bits, uh, little tiny things doing a huge amount for a much bigger body, and so it is with the tongue. So it is with these little things in our mouths. They are so dominant that this apparently insignificant organ can turn the entire body can set us up in particular situations, can lead us into sticky situations as well. So it's important to steer it and direct it responsibly. We need to beware of rudders, underwater, unseen, uh, but having great effects, so we need to beware of what the tongue can do, hidden away inside the mouth, unseen, but capable of great things. They can, of course, have a good effect, uh, a wonderful good effects from right truthful positive words but also as we know great negative effect as well so therefore let's not think of words as unimportant there is a strain of thought that does think of words as not really mattering we all know the throwaway phrase <coughs> about words never hurting that's certainly not true is it uh, we've heard the phrase about names oh it 's just a name it doesn't really matter but As Christians, we know in the Bible that names have great importance, and actually, names go to the heart of who and what somebody is, not least for the Lord himself, who the revelation of his name is a great turning point in Bible history. Uh, Likewise, we might sometimes talk of verbiage if there's just a mass of words somewhere which we want to do down. But those words, uh, even if there's a lot of them that might not seem to matter, can have great effect for some people and for some situations. Words matter. They have a great effect, great power. Now, sometimes great cultural movements have their genesis in tiny little, apparently at the time, insignificant phrases. But even if we're not going to start off a revolution with our words today, nonetheless, our words will have ripple effects and repercussions whatever personal situations and interactions we have. So it's important to consider that In respect of James's second point about tongues, they're not just dominant, they're also deadly. Tongues are deadly. Let's look at verses five to eight again. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire, by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison." So we've got the same idea here as with the ship, directed by the rudder, and the horse, directed by the bit. We now have an entire forest, entire forest fire, set on fire by a spark a small thing having massive effects. But we've also got the added implication in that illustration of something dangerous, something destructive, something that destroys inevitably. The horse had potential to destroy. The ship, I suppose, if it went off course, had great potential to destroy. But the forest fire, certainly destructive of lives and property. It contains a world of evil. At the 9.30 service, we had a, an illustration of a match which I lit, uh, much to the horror perhaps of some church warden's presence. Uh, don't worry, it went out quite quickly. Uh, and we were thinking about uh, going through walks on uh, forests over half term, and considering how terrible it would be if that entire forest was caught on fire, uh, and the fact that just one little match thrown carelessly away in a dry forest might set in the whole thing ablaze. So it is with the tongue. A small thing, but with great possibilities for deceit and flattery, vainglory and boasting, for hypocrisy and cruelty. It's like poison, James says, used wrongly. Like poison, a powerful poison. Now, this all might come across as very negative. Uh, James has uh, obviously quite a a dark take on the tongue. Uh, Many of us may live and work in environments where actually Uh, we're much more accustomed to coming across uh, at least neutral words, uh, words that are professional in tone and don't do people down on a regular basis. Often, however, as we know, that can just be a shell, a false shell. Um, And actually, underneath, if we scratch away, if we add in some stresses, some strains, maybe a bit of alcohol, the actual thoughts of the heart come streaming out, and then the words change tone quite dramatically. Maybe away from the office on a Friday night, that's when colleagues who might come across as perfectly neutral and calm and collected uh, suddenly come up with words that we didn't think they had in their vocabulary. And there's the real overflow of the dark heart. Behind closed doors, away from the family, perhaps, that's when the gossip comes out about so and so. And so from the same source, as we'll read later, come both good and bad words. It doesn't take many words to destroy. It doesn't take much of a fire to bring down a whole forest under the right conditions. The context, of course, of a trusted uh, interlocutor, a trusted person who we're talking with, who normally comes up with entirely worthwhile and wholesome words, but who then throws in, occasionally, Wrong, evil, destructive words of deceit, flattery, and cruelty. That can be so much worse, and we're expecting from them so much better. The second largest forest in the world is the Siberian tiger. I've never been, sadly, on the Trans-Siberian Railway. Maybe some of you have. I've I've not yet had a spare week to make that journey. Uh, Haven't braved the uh, coldness of it. Uh, But I'm sure traveling through that uh, enormous Siberian forest uh, you begin to get a, a small sense uh, of just how destructive a forest fire there can be. In July 2019, it was casually announced by the Russian government that 3 million hectares of the Siberian tiger were on fire. That's an area the same size as the entire country of Belgium. This wasn't too much of a problem, because actually it does occasionally need to have a fire in it. But nonetheless, there was still huge destruction of property uh, in a, a fire of that size. Most such fires are actually started by man-made causes, by uh, the neglect of things like power lines and uh, faulty tires and, of course, matches and cigarette bots and so on, carelessly thrown away. Now imagine if it was our a carelessly thrown match that hadn't quite gone out, still smoldering, through threw into the undergrowth on that Siberian train journey that started the next forest fire on that scale. And yet even if we're not going to be taking that Trans-Siberian railway and throwing a match out the window, we would all still have the potential right now for such great destruction, because we all possess the means of communication by tongue and by type. So destructive can the tongue be, not just on the scale of hateful politics and uh, irreligious demonizations and racial slurs, but also smaller personal interactions as well, unfair criticisms, overheard insults, unwarranted gossip. These things can change the course of lives, both of individuals and then with the ripple effect on dozens, hundreds, thousands of others as lives are changed because of a few bad, evil, sinful words out of place. Romans 3 of course picks up on this citing psalm 5 saying the throat is an open grave and the venom of asps is under our lips and james reflects that himself in verse 8 when he says no human being can tame the tongue and likewise in verse 2 that we all stumble in many ways all that is of course except for the lord jesus He uniquely did not stumble or fall in anything that he said. We read, of him, in Psalm 19, that the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the hearts. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. We do not have such tongues that are pure and radiant, that are entirely trustworthy, but he does. So, we acknowledge our sin, as we have done already in our confession earlier in the service. We acknowledge that the tongue is capable, uh, both of great good, but also, sadly, of great evil as well. And we don't cover that up, we don't deny it. Uh, We look in that mirror that James talked about and we see the truth uh, that actually we are capable of setting up those great forest fires. We say sorry, we come to the Lord uh, for that forgiveness and we seek in him the chance to amend our lives. The good news is that he will help us in that. And we are to see that later in the passage. He forgives all those who come in penitent faith, and also he helps us to strive against the evil tongue. And we need to bear that in mind as we look at the third point that James makes about the tongue, not just dominant and deadly, but also finally defiled in verses nine to 12. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Praise and cursing as well. And we've already considered the case of presenting two faces um, at work, in families, and so on, uh, saying one thing in one context, saying another thing from the same mouth of the same tongue in another context. Perfectly possible for all of us to imagine situations and remember situations, uh, chalk them up on the embarrassment list ourselves of where that's happened to all of us, I'm sure. I'm perfectly aware of that myself. aware of the struggle in my own life, uh, to remember that audience, that heavenly audience that's always there, that doesn't change depending on the circumstances, that audience of one who always has the same standards and who has access to all the information and all the context and knows always what we say and why we say it. Our nature seeks to justify hypocrisy and to run away from that truth but it is wrong as a mixed spring, as James says, as wrong as the notion of coming to a spring that's meant to produce fresh water, to find salty water there, that our mouths produce both good and evil words. Most of us, all of us, I'm sure, in fact, these days, will have uh, taps in our houses for fresh running water, for washing and for drinking. Uh, it's important to have fresh water for all of those things. Uh, much more difficult back in the day when James was writing to access fresh water in some places in the world. Uh, I'm sure we can imagine uh, a poor old widow in James's time coming to the local spring, perhaps her only source of fresh water, to get all of her daily water for both washing and drinking, with her pots uh, weighing her down. How disappointing for her it would be to find that today, after many years of getting fresh water from from that spring, to find, instead, salty water coming out that she couldn't drink, that she couldn't do anything with, perhaps dirty water that wouldn't be any use for washing her family's clothes. How crushing to realise she might have to travel many, many miles further to a different source of fresh water. And equally more so crushing, disappointing, terrible, is it to the Lord when our mouths come up with not just words to praise him, but words to curse people made in his image. A good moment to observe as a a slight uh, diversion that uh, James does emphasize that all people, uh, everybody is made in God's image, and therefore worthy of uh, positive words, of good words, of truthful words, rather than being cursed and maligned. And uh, certainly a good reference point for us uh, when we think about a Christian perspective on issues like racism and sexism and so on. This should not be, as James says in verse 10, it should not be that the tongue comes up with uh, both sorts of speech. Well, how are we to avoid this being? Well, we've had the clue already in James, as I mentioned earlier. We've had the exhortation in chapter one, the instruction, the encouragement to bridle the tongue, to rein it in. So yes, there is the, quite sad truth that as we've seen in verse 8 and verse 2 that none of us can hope to speak perfectly none of us can hope to attain uh, what the lord has attained in this life of speaking perfectly but we can strive nonetheless with his spirit in us to rein in the tongue to rein in that great horse uh, that great ship with the little rudder that we have to rein it in and to use it for good purposes we've acknowledged our helplessness but he is here with us by his Spirit to help us. And so let's work, let's strive with the Spirit against sin, against the flesh, and use our tongues rightly. When we feel those salty comments rising up, feel that temptation to indulge in gossip about someone, something, let's instead remember the need for fresh water to come out of the mouth, for true, worthy, fulsome, wholesome words to be used. How much better that will be, even if in the moment it might feel better uh, to go the other way. And all of this about the tongue, uh, quite negative stuff as as we've commented, directs us back to that verse 1, that not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. All Christians are saved through Christ, although some, as we know in 1 Corinthians, as through fire, uh, despite uh, quite negative uh, ministries they might have exercised, if we trust in Jesus, uh, he will save. And Jesus has particular condemnations for teachers in the gospel, those who uh, do not permit others to enter blind guides who neglect weighty matters of the law, who wash pots and pans but have filthy insides, who aren't true believers and yet occupy positions of authority. We may sadly say this about some in today's church. It's certainly a terrible and weighty thing uh, to enter into any sort of teaching ministry within God's people, and certainly uh, something I'm conscious of myself. My aim, however, is to preach simply the word, to present what the word says, and always to strive to do that, not to go beneath or beyond it in any way. And that's a good way of minimizing the risk of saying something out of place, of saying or not saying uh, something with the tongue, not writing or actually writing something out of place. And so causing not only myself, but also others to stumble as well, and that's a good Uh, means for anybody in a teaching role uh, to adopt, to minimise the risk of the tongue setting on a great forest fire, just by sticking with presenting what the Word itself says. And that's a challenge when the pressures, both in the world and sometimes in the church itself, can be to not do that, to actually drift away from some things that the Word says, and so to end up setting up forest fires. Now, it's worth remembering as we think about this, as we close, that it says not many of you should become teachers, not that not any of you should become teachers. And to weigh this scripture with uh, other scriptures, like the need to send labourers into the harvest fields, which encourage us to um, do that, to send people in, to uh, raise up teachers who will um, sustain the church in the future. And it's wonderful uh, that that is going on within today's church as well as remembering James's terrifying exhortations about the tongue and its dangers, we also remember Jesus' promise that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let's stop there and pray and um, present our concerns and petitions to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that our tongues are small, but capable of so much destruction. We're sorry for when they've done that. We repent of that. And we ask for your help by your spirit in restraining this great animal, this dominant and deadly beast. We're sorry for the times then we've come before you with prayer and praise, but then thought of and spoken of others in a negative, in an unhelpful, in a degrading way. Purify us, Heavenly Father. Purify our words. Both today and this week and always. Amen.